at it through the lens a little bit more of a content creator. But I think even as a social media manager, it's nonstop all the time. And if you are a content creator who is, we can even say influencer, because influencers I think have more pressure to kind of share 24 seven and, and let people into all aspects and facets of their life. And you're always on. Like if I think back to my influencer days, even when I'm at a hotel or on a vacation, it's like, okay, gotta get up early. Where's the spot to take the photo? Is the light right? Oh my gosh, I haven't gotten a photo today, which I know sounds trivial, but like when it's your job, you can't relax. Welcome to the Social Complex Podcast, where we are diving into the complex impact and influence of social media on brands, brains, and the bigger picture of our modern world. Here's your host, Hillary Applegate. Today, we have an awesome episode in store for you. We are talking with social media coach, expert, educator, and just all around badass, Jara Fosterfell also known as Jara Bean. Jara is a TikTok expert, in-demand speaker, and a seasoned content creator. She leans into her extensive background in content creation and strategy to help teach people and brands how to harness the power of their secret sauce and show up authentically on social, helping them generate engaging content that converts followers and fans into customers and clients. When she's on stage, she brings an unparalleled level of energy and engagement while breaking big concepts down in actionable and bite-sized ways. Jara has created bespoke education sessions and led trainings for well-known brands such as Estee Lauder, Adobe, AT&T, and TikTok, while also educating and empowering brand ambassadors for businesses in the beauty and lifestyle industries. As a content creator, Jara has grown her TikTok following to 1.5 million followers, her Instagram community to 187,000 followers and is the founder of an intensive group coaching course called The Social Media Saloon. Today's episode, we are getting into a ton of different nooks and crannies. First, we're going to talk about the early days of the workout bean that Jara was and how I found her back in 2015. She also opens up and shares about her journey from fitness influencer, content creator, brand ambassador, into education. We're also talking about the crossover between creative content in brands and also that of brand ambassadors, how organizations can tap into their brand ambassadors even better, and actionable ways to make social media content more engaging, higher converting, and all around more you. Jara is incredible and her career thus far is inspiring to say the least and everything that she has accomplished and all that she is sharing on the podcast today is just an example of how much of a professional badass she is in the space. So there's a lot to unpack here. I hope you buckle up, tune in and enjoy the episode. Let's get into it. I just actually, so when I got back from Cabo, it kept saying because I was drinking tequila, obviously, in your Cabo. Heart, your heart rate was like, lower. gosh, it's so bad. <laughs> like, it's so bad how, it's good to have that awareness of like how sure. everything plays together, but like, man, I was like, this is embarrassing. Yeah, when you get the hard data. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, should I just like stop drinking entirely? <laughs> like, is it over for me? Oh, I don't even know. But Jara, <laughs> so nice to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So for those who do not know you and who are not aware of you and your background and who you are and all that you do, can you give a little bit of an introduction? I sure can. <laughs> my name is Jara Fosterfell. I go by Jara Bean on my social media channels. And that comes from a nickname that my mom has had for me since I was a wee child, Bean, Jara Bean, JB. In my early days of Instagram, when I was in the fitness world, I was workout Bean. So Bean has been a thread throughout. And if we're talking about current day, right here, right now, I'm a social media coach, educator, and speaker. And my mission is to transform the way that you show up on social media so that you can use it as a powerful and positive tool to support your business, or perhaps you're not using it for a specific business need, but still to support your personal goals. So it all began, if I do a little rewind, back in 2015, I was a graphic designer. That's what I went to school for. I was in this challenging time of my life where I didn't like my job. I had a job that was so miserable that hair was falling out due to stress. I had a bald patch actually at a WeWork one day. I looked in the mirror (laughs) 
parted my hair. We're out of WeWork right now. Um, and parted my hair and there was a little bald patch. So that gives you an idea of the stress I was under. And I also realized I was struggling from social anxiety, started to go to therapy for that. And, you know, just a lot of kind of tough moments. And I, one day realized I got to make a change. I downloaded this workout guide of a gal I'd been following for about a year, Kayla Etzinas. She's very, she was very popular, popular back then. She is very popular still to this day. She's an Australian personal trainer. And I started working out and I created an Instagram account to hold myself accountable. And almost instantly, it was this creative outlet for me. I'm a very creative person, both writing and words and images. So I loved that aspect of it, of expressing myself. I was working out every day. That usually feels good. Wouldn't know what that feels like in current day because that, that's no longer part of my life, but at the time, <laughs> felt great. And what I noticed was that or, or what I what I started feeling was that there was this big community aspect of it. So there were women that I was connecting with every day. And for someone who kind of felt like they didn't have friends in real life, struggling mm -hmm. with social anxiety, it was this really positive connection point for me. And that is how it all began. So then if we fast forward through the years, I was a fitness influencer, I guess you can say, for a couple of years. I became a soul cycle instructor because I loved fitness and exercising and soul cycles like the be all end all. I was an Adidas ambassador. That takes us all the way to mid-2018, where I left Soul Cycle, pivoted more into lifestyle content creation, aka I was very lost at this point and didn't really know what I was doing. And then towards the end of 20 2019 made this big business switch and decided to pivot and uh, pivot into social media coaching and education. So that is when I built my course, the social media saloon and through COVID started getting these virtual speaking gigs that turned into in-person speaking gigs. And now current day, here I am definitely still in the content creator bucket, but very much that social media coach educator, working with people one-on-one -on -one, group programs, getting hired by companies to consult and so on. So that's me in a nutshell. I love it. That was probably one of the best outlines that I've oh, heard. That thank was probably you. one of the most concise introductions. Oh, I thought I was rambling a little bit. So thank no, you. That was, I, I want to hear back. How, how fast was that? Because it felt pretty condensed oh, and concise and I liked it a lot. Thanks darling. Good job. Appreciate it. And what's also really funny, and we were talking about this a little bit before, is that we have a little bit of a parasocial relationship yeah. because I knew you as Workout Bean. Because yes. I also, in 2015, was doing uh, the BBG uh, program. I love it. So you get it. You know that I, whole community. The entire community. And what was funny is I think it took me a really long time to realize that she has her own, like, social media part in the app. I didn't get that. Because I was in the PDF days. See, I was PDF days, too. Yeah. I never had the app. I remember when it switched to the app and people were really mad. Yeah. But yeah. But I, they, they also had that community aspect. Yes. And I was like, oh, shit, this took a while for me to figure out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, the, the BBG time 2015, oversaturated photos, like funny angles. I don't even think there was video content yet. It wasn't. I remember when 15 second videos were released and there was this challenge within the BBG community. And when I say challenge, it just means like fun little sort of prompt where people were prompted to introduce themselves in that 15 seconds. And I remember everyone was doing it. I still have it on my account if you scroll back. And everyone it. was freaking out because not just for me, but for other people, they're like, I can't believe that's what you sound like. Like <laughs> I didn't picture your voice like that. And to think that's how Instagram existed. Like we didn't have stories, we didn't have videos. And the first taste we got of people's actual energy and personality were these short 15 second clips where all of our minds were blown at what people actually sounded like and, and their energy coming through the screen. I didn't even think about the fact that voice was such a big part of it. Yes. Because it is something that you definitely are missing and it's not something that you're getting when you're just looking at a photo. Yeah. And now we're in a time where so much has transitioned over into video content, video first, People are going back and forth about whether it's photo versus video uh -huh. and whether different platforms need to stay in their lanes. All of, I mean, we're going to, we're going to get into some of that. Sure, we, yeah. will, we will get into it, but I want to stick on you and your early stage for a little bit, just for a minute, because I think that a lot of people can really resonate with that feeling of not 
fully like aligning with their life and what they're doing. And the minute they, they find that creative outlet, it just takes them on a trajectory. I know you couldn't have imagined this for your life 20 years ago because it didn't exist. But when you were younger, what is it that you were really drawn to? Like, what were your passions? Well, if you go back many, many years, I wanted to be a veterinarian because I love dogs so much, which still rings true to this oh. day. And I think if you have five-year-old Jara, um, she probably wanted to be like a ballerina and a roller skater. Like, I don't know where that came from. But if we kind of fast forward a little bit, I think I've always been in the creative field um, in, in high school, like English and art and a little bit of history were my thing way more than science or especially math. Math was my uh, downfall. Um, and then it was in college that I discovered graphic design and that's what I majored in. I remember thinking, oh, I want to be a graphic designer for like a surf company because I had a little surf phase. So it was always, you know, not really a, a clear destination, but something creative where I was expressing myself or expressing my artistic viewpoint, I guess, in some shape or form was always the path I think I was headed down. Did you, back in 2015, when you were starting to immerse yourself in this fitness culture online, which ended up taking you to so many different places in your career and kickstarting, like what was your perception of it at that time? Did you, did you look at it? It's just like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing community. Or were there things that were like also positive or even a potential negative? Gosh, looking back to those early, early days, 2015, 2016, I know it's easy to look back and, and just see things all as positive, but if I really kind of try and tune into it, I really don't see too much negative with it. I think we were in these naive days of Instagram. And I say that with love. Like I, I kind of wish I could get back to that again, where people are posting and not really thinking about the aesthetics of things. Like we had to go back to challenges. There was a dub, a hashtag WIDN, what I'm doing now. And someone would tag you and say, oh, Jara, like what WIDN? And you would just post like, oh, I'm drinking coffee on my, like that's the- the That's the first be real people. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It was so kind of carefree and people would do Women Crush Wednesday and post their mm -hmm. women that they like admired for the week. It was so lighthearted and just not naive in a way. And I think people were so eager to connect and support each other and cheer each other on. So I don't look back on those early days really as anything bad or even complicated, maybe is even a better word because now things feel complicated. <laughs> So what are some of those things that have entered the chat when it comes to social that have made it a little bit more of a muddy place? Oh, where do, where do we even begin? And I say this as someone who does find a lot of positive in social media, so I'm not looking at it fully with a negative view, but I think about what my clients come to me with. Um, I think about what I just hear people talking about and see people talking about. I think the fact that there are so many formats, mm -hmm. we can start there. Back in the day, it was a photo and a caption. We didn't even have video. There were no stories. Now it's photos, carousels, reels, video just throws a, I love video, but it throws a whole wrench into the equation of confidence and how to show up. And do you know how to edit a video? And there's different editing platforms. Like it requires this whole other skill set that was not even close to necessary before. And then we have stories and lives and there's different platforms. There's TikTok and Pinterest and YouTube shorts and just your attention is pulled in so many directions. And that's just the format of things, let alone mindset. People are comparing themselves to others. They're worried about views and likes and the overall perception of things. And then there's the content itself. Like, what am I supposed to post? I don't think in early days, people to go back to the, what I'm doing now, people were posting, what am I doing now? I'm walking down the road. I'm looking at a flower, like, which is great. I still love that. But now there's so much more, uh, a heaviness to that question of what am I going to post today? So I think 
all avenues are cloudy just because there's so many options. And I think a lot more sort of self-pressure that we put on ourselves with social media. Do you think that people put themselves a little bit too far into a bucket when it comes to how they're showing up on social? Like they just immediately position themselves as this one thing or, you know, what, whatever it may be, or an expert in this, or even a fitness person, if that's where they start as their personality, or do you think that it's too many options where they don't have enough structure? That is really where people struggle. Oh, good question. It, it, it brings me to the big question that we hear constantly or the big topic of the niche, because you're going to hear so much advice with, you must niche down versus you don't need a niche. And the way that I think of niche, and we can really even throw the word niche out the window. I almost don't even want to use that because it's so overused. And I think people hear that and instantly like their hackles go up and they're like, but I don't only want to talk about one thing, yeah. which I get. I don't think you should only talk about one thing. I think that if you are a singular face to the brand, now it's going to be a little bit of a different conversation if you're a collective, like if you're a dentist's office or a marketing agency or an HR consultancy, whatever it is. But if you are a singular face to the brand, you have to almost imagine you at the epicenter and then all the things that make you, you are sort of floating around you and are connected to you. Now, that doesn't mean that every single thing should have equal weight, but that does mean that everything about you, whether it's more business oriented, whether it's more personal life, are these connection points and pathways into you. So if you are a business, yes, it does make sense to talk about your expertise, share what you know, give advice, tips, insight, uh, thought leadership as it pertains to your focus, your niche, but we can also leave the door open to share your dogs or share the songs that are stuck in your head or your road trip or your outfits as well. So I don't know, I see people kind of really struggling between the two where they don't know if they should be super, super niche or is it okay to talk about all the things? And I see like a range of how people are actually showing up, but that's my philosophy with that is that you don't have to narrow yourself to one single thing. You want to emphasize certain things over another, but everything about you, whether it's more professional or personal, can be an entry point into your personal brand. So I know you work with organizations as well as individual, you know, smaller businesses as well. What are some of those commonalities when you are talking to somebody who is going to be more of like a smaller content creator side and also a large enterprise organization when it comes to, you know, building out your brand and building out how you are showing up and what you're rooting yourself in? You know, what are some of those crossovers between the two? I think a big crossover is personality and personality can have a, such a wide range in that an individual certainly has personality, but I think that concept applies to a bigger brand or to a bigger collective as well. And I think what's so beautiful about video content is that it allows that range to come through, whether you're an individual or whether you're a big brand, you can use short form video reels or TikTok to convey some of that personality, energy, and vibe. Now that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be all goofy and silly, like personality doesn't necessarily equal goofy and funny, but you can ask yourself as a bigger brand, what are the things that make us unique? What's our viewpoint? What's a day in the life at the office? What are things that we're doing with our team that kind of pull back the curtain? And I think that's the larger theme rather. How are you pulling back the curtain on who you are as an individual or who you are as a brand and then using video to support that? So if we think of common formats like a day in the life, which is very popular right now, or a vlog or even to get ready with me, of course that makes sense for an individual, but they can absolutely be applied to a larger brand or collective as well. You know, it's something funny that when I just thought of as you were saying that is that pulling back the curtain on a brand that has such a rich history or such mm. a very strong like root in their culture and a very robust, you know, brand that they've built years and years past versus an organization that might have some skeletons in the closet or might not really have a whole heck of a lot of meat 
behind said yeah. curtain. It's almost as if it proves that social media is almost not really going to work if there's really not a whole heck of a lot there. And that can shed light on other issues within an organization that might need to get ironed out before they're ready to really invest in a heavy social presence. Yeah, I guess the only sort of thought that comes to my mind with that, and that's not to say the brands that I, or the companies I'm about to list off um, don't have that, that meat behind the curtain, but I think the only sort of caveat to that is humor. And so I think of, um, ooh, what, what are they called? Christie's, the um, auction, the art brand that auctions off all of the big pieces. I'm not familiar. Oh, okay. I think I it's, it yeah, out. I think they're called Christie's. And I was really, I haven't checked out their TikTok in a while, but I was really impressed with some of their initial TikToks where they were capitalizing on the humor and lightheartedness of TikTok. There was one sound, this is about a year ago, that's like, okay, I like it, Picasso. Yes, do you remember that one? I do. And they used that sound on one of their videos where they're like unloading a painting. And I'm like, okay, Christy. Like, <laughs> I see, like there, there was something that sparked joy in that moment of like a brand that's been around from like the 1800s utilizing TikTok in the way that it should be. Or even I think of Delta, they have, and this is TikTok specific, they have these almost thirst trap plane shots. Like it's freaking genius. How do you turn a plane into a thirst trap? I don't know, <laughs> but they did it like, and you should see all the comments in the comment section, of course, is like the second best thing on TikTok because everyone's so creative in there. So that's the only caveat. It's like, I think the brand personality is important, but I do see a, a side path of just humor if you're not necessarily letting people into the actual brand personality. And TikTok is the perfect place for that. So let's talk a little bit about red tape, because with these organizations, you do run into a lot of red tape as far as the way that things have been done or yes. the rules and the regulations that have to be you know, checked off before we can move forward with something. And especially with companies that might be a little bit more, you know, I don't know, keen-eyed on TikTok, especially if they are kind of veer into like somewhat of public sector or even government. And I've seen some hysterical government accounts, like yeah. wildlife accounts that just completely thrive and are incredible. But I'd love to hear if you have a perspective on how social media executives in these organizations who might be running into those issues and those concerns, what can they do to beef up their case internally to be able to push through to the next level? First thing that comes to mind is case studies of brands that are doing it, who have pushed through that red tape and clearly the higher ups are on board with getting a little bit unhinged, getting a little goofy, like even just kind of letting that social media hair down. So of course, the strong examples that everyone always goes to is Duolingo. Like Duolingo was the trailblazer when it comes to a big brand, a corporation showing up on TikTok. BarkBox as well is like on the same level of unhingedness, if that's a word. But I think those are so known that I don't know if those necessarily help your case anymore. So I think, you know, I just did a panel for TikTok where I spoke to travel brands brands and Hilton was represented there. And I think they're a really good example of, for example, their social media person is allowed to leave comments on whatever video they want. Like comments that they leave on other accounts do not have to be approved. And so now everyone sees Hilton popping up in the comments with these really creative, um, things that they're adding into it. I think it's Danny who runs it and Danny's like creative and fun. It's like, you need that person who has, who, who's witty and who's thinking in that TikTok way. So it, it's a mix between case studies of what are these more serious brands or brands that have been around for a while that you don't necessarily expect to thrive on TikTok. Can we throw together some case studies? Can we see beyond their content, how they're interacting in the comments of other videos as well? And like sort of putting your case forward, because I think for a lot of, I'm going to assume executives and higher ups, 
they're probably still thinking of TikTok as this silly little dance for teenagers and it's all singing and dancing and like, what's the point? Or maybe they do get it, but they don't see the ROI on it because TikTok really is so much more for brand awareness. And I think even brand and cultural conversation than it is, oh yeah, let me buy this product that this brand is pushing. So maybe they do get it, but then they don't see the ROI. So it's, it's a big conversation, but I think case studies may be the place that you want to start when presenting your case. Maybe give it a <laughs> shot. See how it goes. Yeah. I do think that that's a really good perspective though, especially if you're able to identify a, you know, case study in, in a similar industry or yes. in, I, I, I think it's nice how you break it out by humor versus more non-humorous. Cause I think those are two very different categories. Absolutely. And, and it doesn't have to be funny. I think there are brands who are thriving, who aren't just, you know, goofy and unhinged, but I also think there are brands that you wouldn't expect to take the humorous approach. Like I think it's the Milwaukee public library and they're like killing it on mm-hmm. TikTok. I'm like a public library. You just wouldn't think. I just feel like if, if a public library can do it or a government brand can do it as you were taught, like it, it, the door's wide open. You just got to get the, the higher ups on board. I, I guess. love it. If a good library can do I it, so know. can you. So can you. <laughs> so you yourself are a content creator and an educator and you are working so heavily with, you know, helping people and brands really understand the magic of social media and how to how to break through that surface when it comes to content creation yourself do you ever feel like you're running a little bit dry oh yeah all the time like you're just like what is happening here what am i gonna do today totally totally and i think sometimes i like to be very open about that because i think that when people feel like they're lacking inspiration or they're showing up and the views aren't coming through or they're not getting comments or not you know whatever it is whatever that result it is that you're looking for or whatever inspiration it is that you're looking for and you don't have it it can feel like oh my god what is wrong with me? I'm doing something wrong. Or social media doesn't feel fun right now, or it hasn't felt fun in a while. What's wrong with me? So a couple things is that I do think social media, especially if you're using it for a specific purpose, it's not supposed to be fun all the time. We can find those pockets of fun, but it's really a part-time job in a way. So there's creative aspects of it. There's funny and humorous aspects of it. There are ways that we can feel connected and have those warm and fuzzy feelings, but I don't think it's supposed to feel fun a hundred percent of the time. So kind of normalizing that as well as inspiration too. Like we all have a push and a pull. It's like riding a wave and it's going to, we're going to have the the troughs and the crests. Am I remembering that correctly? I think those were the right words. The ups and the downs. Peaks and valleys. <laughs> Peaks and valleys. There we go. That I, that I feel more confident troughs about. And crests. I feel like they learned that in physics. I don't know where that came from. I have not said that in a long time. I need to Google it. I like um, it. Picasso. <laughs> I like it, Picasso. Um, but it's like nothing is going to just remain at this constant high point. Even kind of going back to that thought of of views, like right now I've had a couple, my last post are quote unquote flops. And it's just like one flop after the next, but like, okay, in a little bit of a flop era at the moment, but we're going to kind of ride the wave and it's going to come up again. So yes, I do find those times where it's a little bit of a dry spell in inspiration or views or whatever, but doing this since I guess over eight years now, I've I've just gotten used to that and and mostly comfortable with that. It's funny. I have a somewhat related, but not really related, but kind of related. My house and the cleanliness of it and the organization of it is a direct reflection of like how things are going. If my house is like spick and span, I am like, boom, boom, boom. Like we are good to go. We are rocking. We are in our flow era. Yes. And then if it's like, things are kind of like piling up a little bit and like, I don't know where my stuff is. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a little chaotic for me. It's like, I'm in my flop era, but I'm curious, would you say that there's any correlation either with you or with any of the clients or people that you work with in the space where you see if my social media is not like killing it right now, like I might actually be like (laughs) a little like unsteady or a little bit just like, oh, this is like, I'm not doing like my hottest. I'm not in my hot moment right now. Yeah. I, I, yes and no. 
I think that if you are in life feeling uninspired, if you're not, if you're out of your routine where, you know, getting outside, getting fresh air, listening to podcasts, like I feel like inspiration can come it really can be quite an external thing. Like sometimes you're listening to a podcast and you hear a snippet and you're like, Ooh, that's good. Wait. Oh, that applies to me and my niche and what I do. Like, like how can I kind of expand upon that or, or what idea does that help me jump to next? Um, and so I think if you are out of whack with other parts of your life, I could see that having a direct connection to your social media. But I think also you could be, you know, living the good life and things are fine and dandy and, you know, things on social media are great too. So it's not like directly <laughs> connected, but I, I do potentially see a correlation there. Yeah. I'm always curious about that. And also I, I something that I've noticed a lot of, so I've worked in social media since 2012, yeah. but more on the brand side, I've never been a creator. I've never been on like more of the, you know, developing side and more on like the absorption side. And something that I've noticed is that a lot of the social media managers that I've worked with over my career have a little bit of a shelf life. And I didn't know that when I was first starting and I didn't notice it as much, but now that I'm, you know, 10, 10 years in and I'm starting to see people who I've worked with who made it maybe like three years or five years or eight years or still going 10 years and they're still in it. Yeah. But I'm, curious, have you seen or experienced any of that where, you know, there might be people out there who get a little bit burnt out by this as a career choice? Definitely. Definitely. Because I think in order to be in social media, whether you're, I mean, I do look at it through the lens a little bit more of a content creator, but I think even as a social media manager, it's nonstop Mm -hmm. all the time. And if you are a content creator who is Uh, well, we can even say influencer because influencers, I think, have more pressure to kind of share 24-7 and let people into all aspects and facets of their life. And you're always on. Like if I think back to my influencer days, even when I'm at a hotel or on a vacation, it's like, okay, got to get up early. Where's the spot to take the photo? Is the light right? Oh my gosh, I haven't gotten a photo today, which I know sounds trivial, but like when it's your job, you can't relax. And I think even as a business owner using social media, the lines are blurred where you might not be letting people into every detail of your life and you might not need that vacation photo, but you're still sharing bits and pieces of yourself. So it's close to being on 24 seven. So I do see people getting burnt out. I do see more social media breaks these days and which I think is quite positive where people are like, I'm not here for the week or I'm, I'm taking the next month off. I know I used to, I'll never forget a couple years ago in my like super influencer days, I remember saying, I'm not going to post on stories for 24 hours. And that was like cuckoo bananas to me to not be on stories for 24 hours. And now I'm like, oh, don't feel like posting today. Like don't, don't feel like showing up on stories today or I'm going to take the whole weekend off, which sometimes I do. So with that thought of people are getting burnt out at the same time, because of that, I do see people finding more pockets of space and time off and, and feeling okay with that. Too. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think that there is this shift happening where people are more comfortable being more expressive about if they need to take some time away or if they're going to be traveling and they're not yeah. really going to be on their phones and whatnot. And I think that there is this acceptance that happens. And I would say largely in part because of the conversations that have happened around mental health. Yeah. And I think 2020 just like brought everybody and their mother to their knees Mm -hmm. on -hmm. (laughs) reality (laughs) and life and expectations. I mean, Jarrett, how was 2020 for you? Oh gosh. You know, it's, it was a positive year in that. So let me back, like explain that first. I want the explanation. Yeah. I got married in March of 2020 And like right before everything. Oh, thank God. Like things were shutting down. Like my photographer canceled. I had blue grown out (gasps) nails because I couldn't get a manicure. My wedding dress almost didn't arrive. Our guitars canceled. I mean, we had a really small wedding to begin with, but like it really turned out to be very sparse, which I totally understand that people not coming. And a week later, my husband and I moved to Austin. It was right at the time I was launching my business, launching the Social Media Saloon, which was my course for three years. And so I look back on 2020 
as such a pivotal time in my life in terms of starting this new chapter personally, uh, starting a new chapter professionally. I think also being at home when you were a course creator, like everyone needed connection. So people were coming, flocking to my course, not just for social media, but I think really for that community aspect and something to ground themselves in every week. Also too, I got a lot of virtual speaking opportunities, like the amount of guest coaching I did in 2020. And, you know, I promoted this on my stories and then you get a little conference here. And then next thing I know, Estee Lauder is like, Hey, can you come teach TikTok to our global creators across the world. I'm like, oh my God, of course. So that's the positive of that year for me. I think, of course, it was such a challenging year for everyone, the world. So I'm not trying to downplay that. But at the same time, I do see it being as a very pivotal year for helping me to kind of bring me to where I am today and and what I'm doing now. Yeah, absolutely. When you moved to Austin, did you think this was going to be a temporary thing or a couple years thing or like a, a for a long time thing? I thought it was going to be a for a long time thing. Yeah. Yeah. We moved into an apartment and then six months later bought a house. And so I think once we bought the house, we're like, oh yeah, like we're here. <laughs> we're here, everybody. <laughs> and my husband loves it. He's like thriving here. So oh, I, th- I think this good. is a long term thing. I feel like th- that timing though of having a wedding and then having oh. COVID and then moving to a different place, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is so much. Yeah. How did your social, like, how did your ability to show up on social shift or like move around in that time? I think I've always, from early days, been someone who shares quite openly. And so sharing the ups and downs of that all came quite naturally to me. And I think it really let people into just the process of things. Like, yes, it's beautiful that we got married, but it was also really challenging because half our family and friends canceled. And yes, it's awesome. We're moving to Austin. But in the middle of the pandemic to the point where we were just a few days leaving New York when they're like, if there's any cars with New York license plates, like we're driving, we're, we're pulling them over. So here we are in like a U-Haul and like an Arizona license plate. Like, are we even going to get to Austin? And then of course, starting a new business. Oh my, I won't, I won't get into the, the depths of that, but the like sort of vulnerability and, and just kind of putting yourself out there. And so anyways, to bring that back to social, I think I did share a lot of those ups and downs quite openly, with a, which I think people have always appreciated and, and did appreciate at the time. Um, I think since then, in a way, I've kind of pulled back a little bit. Tell me more. I think that I am, since I've done this since 2015 and, and really shared so many details of my life, I'm at the point where I feel like I can still show up and share authentically and share my personality and share some of the good and the bad without having to reveal it all. And just, it, it, it feels tiresome to constantly share everything. And at some point creating some type of boundaries for yourself and knowing that you can keep some things for you and share some other things openly is sort of like, oh, that actually feels good and, and refreshing and sort of lightens the load a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. When did that really come to light for you? I want to say since being in Austin, I can't necessarily pinpoint it, but I I almost want to say it's all around the same time where I gave myself permission to not post for two days on the weekend and just give myself a little bit of time. I think that coincided with, oh, I don't have to show up every single day. Oh, I don't have to share every single detail of my life. So yeah, I see that kind of commingling perhaps at the same time. I think that that's such an important thing too to bring up and just into highlight because especially everybody from like creators to in-house, you know, developers to just for funsies influencers to career influencers. It's like everybody that has a tie to social media or in some way, form, fashion has a community there, it can almost feel like you have an obligation to to the said community. Yes. But then when that starts taking from your cup too much, even not even too much, just to the point where you're like, hey, actually, 
I kind of want to like pivot back and I want to correct. I think it's really powerful to know that you went through that too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We are always in the driver's seat with how we're using slash showing up on social media and something I, I like like little metaphors and analogies. And so one thing I teach to my students is that everything can be a dial. So I teach something called the vulnerability dial. And it's not that when you are sharing something vulnerably or showing up authentically, it's not that you are vulnerable or you're not vulnerable on social media. You just need to identify where you currently are on that dial. And maybe you're like, oh my God, I'm at a zero or one. Like it is barely (laughs) turned up. What can I do if I want to, to turn it up to a two or three, but you don't necessarily always have to get to a nine or a 10. So just thinking of things as like adjustments versus like an on or off switch. Let's talk about that a little bit, because I know that we had talked a bit about authenticity and that's a huge anchor in your platform that you've built and really showing up as yourself, who you are, all that good stuff. Yeah. I think vulnerability plays really nicely into authenticity, but like you say, it has to be true to you. So what are some of those guidelines and parameters when you're working with clients to say, this is, this is like the magic. This is the, the, the secret sauce. Yes. You will. The secret sauce. So I've been teaching authenticity since early days of the first days of, of the social media saloon, my course. And I think at first I probably was like, yeah, show up authentically. And people were like, cool. How do I do that? Because it's such an important word, but it's also very intangible and you can be on board with the idea. But then when it comes to execution, how the hell do you actually do that? Mm -hmm. So it's taken three and a half years, but I've developed this framework. I feel very excited about it uh, just because it makes it more approachable and tangible to show up in, uh, in an authentic way. So I have four pillars to, I, I call them the secret sauce pillar. Secret sauce meaning authenticity. I love that. I actually saw secret sauce on your page and I didn't even know it was a pillar. So I was like, all right, here we go. Yes! This, is, this is working out. I love that. <laughs> so if we were to split it up into four pillars, we have foundational secret sauce, we have professional secret sauce, we have personal and lighthearted. So four distinct, well, distinct buckets. It's okay if they have some crossover, we can get to that in a bit, but let me define each. Foundational is looking at the past. These are the things that got you to where you are today. We can think of the bigger things like pivots and achievements and challenges, all the things that weave together to make you you in the, in the present moment, but we're looking at the past. Then we're looking at professional secret sauce. Professional is, as it sounds, it has more of that professional lens where if you are a business, whether you're a singular person or a collective, what makes you different? How do you approach working with clients? What are your values? What makes you different from other people in your industry? Um, How do you approach problems? Like whatever it is, it's that professional lens. That's your professional secret sauce. Then we have the personal secret sauce that is more focused in the present. So what do you like to do on the weekends? What are your hobbies? Do you have pets? Do you have a family? Where do you live? What do you like to go out about and do? Yoga or painting or hobbies, but it's not just those kind of more lighthearted things. It can also be things that are not so great. So if you are struggling with anxiety or depression, or you have a fear of public speaking, like there's that range again, but it's things in the present moment. Then our fourth bucket is lighthearted secret sauce. And this is more definitely heavy focus on kind of either quirky, random, goofy, things that just kind of make up your personality, but really that lighthearted viewpoint. And I'll give you a couple examples for each. So foundational focusing on the past, that could be me doing a post about the five jobs I had before what I do now and explaining each one. These are my pivots over the years. Professional could be a snippet of a behind the scenes one-on-one session I'm having with a client and you hearing me the feedback or the advice that I'm giving to them. Like that is that like in the moment you're hearing how I talk to a client. And of course, no one else does it like me. And I don't do like another person doesn't do it like anyone else. Um, so that would be more professional. And there's a lot of other examples, but I'll keep, I'll keep it to one for now. Personal could be, I did an ice bath for the first time or cold plunge, uh, for the first time a couple of weeks ago. 
Um, that's more in the kind of lighter sense of personal, but I did a little video vlog on that. I love that. And then lighthearted, uh, for me personally, I'm known for my armpit farts. I have a secret hidden talent. Oh, that's incredible. And so my community really loves that, and I do too. I have a love for cheese and crackers. Um, I post my dogs all the time, and those would be more lighthearted. Now, let me just clarify something. People sometimes hear these and they're like, oh my God, but like, I don't have anything lighthearted that I want to share, or I don't feel comfortable, or maybe it's something else. Those four buckets are there for you, so you can pick and choose. You might go, okay, I really, for the moment, don't want to share anything in that personal present moment because it's not related to my business or these big things. You might go, all right, I'm sticking to foundational and professional. That's awesome. You are still showing up in an authentic way without having to share every single part of yourself. And that also applies for businesses as well. A big marketing agency could very much share their foundational and professional secret sauce, but they might feel that personal and lighthearted is not relevant to them. And that's totally okay. Versus someone else, uh, a fitness professional might go, oh yeah, all four buckets, I'm game for all four of these. And they can certainly pick and choose the whole lot. So those are the secret sauce pillars and sort of breaking down how one can show up authentically in a way that feels very aligned and comfortable. I love it because that doesn't put people in the box. Yes. That is amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really inspiring to be able to look and build your own unique way within something that we all have, which is we all got personal. We all have professional. Yep. We all have whatever lightheartedness might, might actually be there. Much more than I think people think. Even Scrooge has lightheartedness. Mm -hmm. And that usually comes out in the moment. It's a little bit hard to sit down and brainstorm that, which is why I think people, oh, I don't have anything. But everyone has a little... A whole something. A little something. Stuff that comes out with friends, with your family, with your dogs. Like, there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. I love that little seed. Okay. So we talked about the four sauces. Yes. Four sauce pillars. Kind of a little bit like Chick-fil-A when you have all your four sauces to be able to choose from. Yeah. Choose your sauce. However, I'm going to say buffalo or ranch or bust, but that's just me. (laughs) So with people who do feel like they put themselves in a bucket and, you know, they, they do have a little bit of that hard time getting over that hump of saying, oh, well, this is like who I am or, you know, how I, how I would characterize my, my brand or my personality or, you know, within any of those sauces, if you will, how, and are there any practices that you have clients perform in order to really start to like pull themselves out of their head and in that moment and be able to like visualize and like play a little bit and brainstorm? Like, what does that look like for clients that are figuring that out and navigating those four pillars? Where I have people start, I have a whole, I call it a branding exercise, but it's very relevant to to secret sauces. It's all connected. And I have people start off with doing a bird's eye view of their life, which sounds really intense. And it is, it's funny. My mom actually just did this because she's working on her social media. I'm like, take my course. I love that. (laughs) She's thinking so seriously. I reviewed her homework. She's doing great. But she's like, oh my God, this is so hard and intense. I'm like, well, yeah, it is. It is really reflecting back on your life and even figuring out who you are. It's, it's no easy task, which I think is why it can be so hard on social media because it's almost like having to write about yourself. Like you are so in it and you don't get this outside view. So I think I try and give people this outside view through these exercises, but it's still hard to do. So I start off with this bird's eye view of their life, really just kind of bullet pointing these big shifts and moments and and things that they remember over the years. And then I have this whole kind of questionnaire thing talking about like, who's been the most important person in your your life or what are the, like, what are your values? And not only the big stuff, but we're also also focusing on what are the key elements of your lifestyle right now? Like, who do you hang out with? What do you like to do? And it's like pages and pages long, but through that, we're then able to dissect these five key elements, which are kind of the more big things. We still want the little things, but it kind of grounds us in, okay, these are the five big things that have made us who we are or things that we value. And then I think coming from uh, looking at that all written out, we can start to dissect like, okay, we can do a post on this and we can share this more. And have you ever shared this on social media? So I think getting it out on paper and having questions that you are probably not normally asking yourself is a great place to begin and get out of your head a little bit. I love it. Jarrett, you have such a keen 
perspective as an educator and a coach and how you're helping your students and your clients really think about this in a different way. And I think it's super cool. Thank you. How did that even transition happen? Like, when were you like, shit, this is what I'm supposed to do? And like, like, because I almost would say she was a teacher back in the day, the way that you're approaching it and the way that you're thinking about it so methodically and how like you've built this aside from being an expert in it and doing it yourself like when did that transformation happen where you're like oh wait there is a process to this and there is a way to break it out so that people can really succeed here I think it's been a lot of trial and error but I think I've always been someone who really likes to help people and going back to that creative brain I do think sometimes I'm able to think about things in a slightly different way so creative from early days always wanting to help people I was a soul cycle instructor so I was a teacher in some sense in the fitness industry but very different than what I do now and then when I shifted into creating my course which is really the first thing I did in the social media world which by the way I look back at really ballsy because I had never had a one-on-one client and here I am making this course and 22 people signed up and trusted me. Like Love that for you. I, I mean, I, at the time I knew it was a big deal, but I look back on it now and I, I have a lot of respect for myself, but I'm also like, that was a little risky, <laughs> but it worked out. And I'm like, I look, I look back on my first cohort and they were just the most incredible people. I have so much love and respect for them. And, and they were great. Um, but there's a lot of trial and error. Like I'm like, all right, people have to figure out their niche and then they have to figure out their messaging and then they need to figure out their content pillar. So it was kind of taking what I had learned over the previous couple, four, four or so years and just throwing spaghetti at the wall a little bit with that first round and running the saloon for three years and seven cohorts over 250 students, I think at this point, I have revised the material four times. And when I say revise the material, I mean, kind of burn it all down or like use the skeleton. <laughs> I mean, kind of, cause like, I wasn't like, I wasn't like, oh, let me change this video. I re-recorded oh probably gosh. like 10 hours of material four times because I'm also a perfectionist. So as soon as I, you know, taught it this way and I'm like, okay, I see how that works, but they're getting stuck there. So how can I shift? How can I explain this in a new way? It's almost like, you know, me, um, developing those four secret sauce pillars that did not exist during round one of the saloon. So I really see being in the trenches with my students and being on calls and seeing where they get stuck. Like I started with something, but then I was able to like take it from a little, you know, seedling and turn it into a tree, I guess, um, over the last three, uh, yeah, three or four years. Um, and I think just being with people and talking and listening and just caught that perfectionist part of me is always wanting, okay, how can I make this better? How can I make this better? How can I make it clearer? How can I make this land better, be more actionable? So it's really just, um, a progression over the years. I think that you're in the right career because social media is so changing constantly. Like, I think you said it perfectly in the beginning where you said back then we were just dealing with photos and one grid and it was great. And now you're thinking about different platforms, video content, stories, comments, interactions within like in stories and resharing things and music editions and edits. And it's, it's just a constant plethora of so much that to even think about how, you know, you, you can build a course to teach people fundamentally, regardless of what happens with that. Yes. You are always going to be able to use these tools. Yes. But you also have to be ready and willing to adjust mm-hmm. and be responsive to the market. Absolutely. And and I think that's so much of what I teach regardless of the platform or the shifts. Like you have to tune in to that secret sauce factor. You have to know what it is that you want to teach or how you want to use content to support your business. And then everything else, unless it's a major change, like Insta stories coming onto the scene or reels coming onto the scene, those are really, really big changes. But for the most part, I feel like everything is a little bit, you know, I don't want to say fluffy, but yeah, we can put five links in our bio now. Okay, cool. Or you can schedule posts like that shouldn't change the core of who you are and what you do, unless you yourself are making a pivot. So that's what I, why I think those personal branding foundations, which is such a huge part of my philosophy when I teach is so crucial. And it's regardless of the platform or the new updates. I love that. And I feel like that was one of the things that we, when we first were talking over email, I'm like, 
I don't want to talk about the newest changes. I don't want to yeah. talk about the tech. I don't want to talk about any of that. I want to talk about like the fundamental. Like, yeah. Let's put a little bit of a magnifying glass on social media here and really understand what, what the fuck is going on. <laughs> so you have an incredible job because you get to work with large organizations that have creator networks yes. and these creators and the success of these creators obviously matters to the brands because the more successful that the creators are, that's really great for the brand as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a very nice co-simpatico relationship. It is. How, when you are looking from a, you know, educator lens to creators who are in this space and who are, you know, working with these organizations, I'm going to ask first from the creator side and then I'm going to ask from the brand side, but from creators, what is it that they can do to really set themselves apart and really be able to position themselves as a partner for these organizations that the partners are going to want to work with them? The first phrase that comes to mind is something that I learned from TikTok, like I, re- I read their business blogs and I think it's a wealth of information. I learned a lot on that business blog. It's awesome. This is years ago. And this like changed when I say it changed my life, it didn't change my life, but it really changed how I approach teaching these creators who are associated with these big brands. And that phrase is don't make ads, make TikToks, don't make ads, make TikToks. And originally TikTok was using this phrase to like speak to businesses, kind of how we were talking about brands on on TikTok and and how it it can be challenging. It's like, you need to create content within the context of, of TikTok culture. But I think for a creator working with a brand, if you are going to incorporate, let's say a beauty product, you're working with a beauty brand, it shouldn't be like, I'm smiling, hold it up. There's some music, hold it, see the logo. Oh, open the cap, put it. It's like, okay, like it's a product. Like, why do I care about this? So you have to think about the person on the receiving end. Do they really want to watch you smiling to some stock music, holding up a logo and like putting lipstick on? Like maybe some people, but you instead, like, how can you optimize that? So can it be a get ready with me video? Can it be a tutorial? Can it be a list video of your top five favorite lipsticks? Can it be a story about yourself where you're not even talking about the lipstick, but you're putting it on and then you're generating interest in that way? Can it be, gosh, your unique perspective? Like you've tried all these other lipsticks and this is why this is the number one. It has to be something where there's a benefit for the person on the receiving end, whether that's that's educational, whether they're being entertained by a story you're telling. Um, maybe it's more inspirational. That to me feels a little bit different. But once again, don't make ads, make TikToks means that you are thinking of the benefit that that person on the receiving end is receiving upon viewing your video. And I think as a creator working for a brand long-term, if you're one of these creators with like these big beauty brands that I talk to, or, or you're an influencer just doing a sponsored post, don't make ads, make TikToks. We can apply that to all platforms. It doesn't have to be just TikTok, but I think that should be kind of this reigning phrase. Oh yeah, for sure. And I I would almost say like 2020 again was such a pivotal moment where people just really shifted from that consumption of any content that you throw at me, I'm following you, I'm liking it, it's fine. Yep. To being like, okay, this is BS, this is an ad, I don't care, I don't want to see this, it doesn't feel real. And so I've, I've seen more creators and influencers actually turning down partnerships, which yeah. I think is really great to see that because ultimately it's not great for the brand if you're not aligned to the content that you're going to be sharing and it's not great for you either. So yeah. it's just to be able to set those boundaries again. Yep. 20, I would say 2020 really helped that happen. Yeah. So, I'm with you on that. And 2020 is always my like, oh gosh, what a, what a time. Yeah. So from the brand side now, with these brands that are having these networks and working with a, you know, a few different of them, what are some of the key differentiators with how they're structuring their creator networks that you have noticed you know, that, that work for some and work for others in different ways? I can speak to my experience. So let me kind of give you some insight into what I see. There are brands, big beauty brands, Estee Lauder, Mac, Bobby Brown. We see Kerasos and Shuamura Art of Hair that have 
creators. I mean, I guess they're professionals first. They are a makeup artist first. They are a uh, hairstylist or salon owner first, but then they have brand association. So they're, you know, loyal to a particular brand and then the brand can bring them in and I'm assuming require a certain amount of content from them that features the brand in some shape or form, but they're also individuals as well. So they are not only posting about Estee Lauder, they're expected to also maybe sometimes even share other brands so that it feels realistic and authentic and and share those other secret sauce buckets as well. So I think the brands are pretty aligned with that, that they have these creators who are associated and wanting to tap into them to help represent the brand and particular products while still letting them be their own people and, and maintain their own personal brands. I like that. So with these beauty brands, because I don't work in beauty, I work a lot in like, I work everything guacamole to aerospace, but like beauty has never been in my wheelhouse. Uh And it's always fascinated me because like you said, there's so many different products. And when they're doing the get readies with me and the, you know, more immersed in their daily lives, they might have a lipstick from Bobby Brown, but they might be using an eyeshadow from Mac. So it almost feels like there's not as intense of a like scrutiny around non-competes in that space compared to others that might be a little bit more stingent on like, no, you eat my guacamole and my guacamole only because why would you need two guacamoles? (laughs) I mean, it's a valid question. It is. (laughs) I I have never seen two different brands of guacamole at a party. I'm just Mm going to throw that out there. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if that's something that you've noticed in the beauty industry or the industries that you work with and train in, if those creator networks are a little bit more, I would say, like accepting of the creator experience. Yes. In my experience, they are. And I've heard them say like, it's okay if you show, if you're showing a full look and there's other products that are incorporated into that look, I'm sure there are specific briefs where they do have to promote a certain product. And therefore, because it's like, here, we're giving you this specific creative direction. You can't incorporate other things into that one video. But I think in general, it is a little bit more lax in order to really show the authenticity of each creator. I do know that certain brands say, yeah, you can show these brands, but not these brands. The brands that are, I guess, essentially their direct competitors. But since beauty is such a big world, there's going to be some direct competitors and there's going to be some others that don't necessarily feel like direct and those are okay. Yeah. That's fascinating. And I think that there's something there too, because like you said, of course, if you have a new product that you're launching and you're going to be paying for this specific piece of content, you're going to want a post and a series of posts about that specific piece of content and that specific product. But I think what you're saying too, is that there's this creator network that can, instead of being exclusive to you, that you can tap into them. And that almost puts a lot of power back into the creator network on the creator knows best. And like when we do influencer programs, we're always like, they know best. Like they are going to be the ones that are going to speak truthfully and you should not be like dictating their script. But there is something there with brands that can get past that non-compete or non-exclusivity to be able to tap into that like broader story that's happening out there. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Interesting. <laughs> I'm just like, oh yeah, wow. Uh, my world is just a little bit different when it comes to influencers and, and tapping into this creator network. So I love yeah, to hear the different, yeah. the difference in the industries. And yeah. there's a lot to learn from beauty. For sure. For okay, sure. Jara, we are we're coming to the end and I just have to I've gotta ask you. Okay, I'm ready. Looking into the future of social media. And business and brands and careers and everything that it is going to be in the next 10 years. What are some of the big things that you think are on the horizon for the space? Ooh, I always struggle with this question. I'm like, I could, it feels like it could be anything. Like 10 years ago, would I have predicted reels and TikTok? Probably not. So gosh, I feel like the social media world is our oyster. Like it, it could go anywhere. I think video is really going to remain 
the strong point. I wonder if it starts to get a little bit more long form. Like we see TikTok opening up to three minutes. We see TikTok opening to 10 minutes. Like, are we going to get burnt out on the quick cuts and the flashiness that kind of lack any sort of substance or, or message? So I wonder, do, do things get start to get longer again? And I think that community is always going to be a strong one. Um, having those people, like it, it's just so that it's not so transactional. I mean, I love, love, love TikTok. But one thing I always come back to Instagram for is that community, people who know me and get me and we have inside jokes with each other and it really feels like a two-way street. And I think after our COVID days, we're, we're, we're craving community and, and perhaps in-person connection. So I don't even know how that translates to social media um, even more. So yeah, I know that's a bit of a vague answer, but that's sort of my general thoughts. Like video is king slash queen. Is it going to get longer? Community is going to thrive, hopefully even more. Does that bring us into in-person? That's what I got for you. I love it. I love it so much. Jara, thank you for being on the podcast. It was so wonderful to have you. Please pimp yourself out. Where can people find you, follow you, love from you, support you, all the things? Heck yeah. Jara Beam, but there is a dot in there. So it's Jara.B-E-A-N on Instagram, on TikTok, Jara Bean, all one word, dot com for my website. And yeah, that's going to get you to where you want to go. Amazing. Thank you, Jara. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Your support means the world to me. So if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, be sure to leave a five-star rating and subscribe to our show. We'll be releasing a new episode every Tuesday, bringing you various stories, deep dives, and discussions around the complexities of social media in our modern world. To follow along for more, be sure to follow us at Your Social HQ on Instagram or check out Social HQ at www.yoursocialhq.com. I'm your host, Hillary Applegate, and I'll see you back here next week. Stay sane out there.